2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Then if you'll also find 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. 2 Corinthians... Chapter 1, verse 22, it says, He also has sealed us and given us the Spirit as a down payment in our hearts. He has also sealed us and given us the Spirit as a down payment in our hearts. Now flip to the very last verse of 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians 13, verse 13. This is how Paul ends his letter. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit this morning. And as Paul ends his letter, he says, this is his prayer for them. This is what he wants for the Corinthians, that they would know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now, a little rewind for us, just so we're all on the same page when it comes to the Holy Spirit. When we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. The Scripture teaches that we worship one God in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not Jesus' little brother. It's not, you know, the, the other thing in the Trinity. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about God, and we see Him, the Holy Spirit, all the way through the Scripture from the beginning to the end. In, the, in Genesis, we see the Holy Spirit hovering over the nothingness, hovering, hovering over the deep before God creates everything. In the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit coming on individuals, giving them great ability and power. Right before Jesus, a, a messenger was sent named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says to the people to prepare the way for Jesus. There's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. At Jesus' baptism... The Spirit descends in the form of a dove, rests on Jesus, anoints Jesus. The Scripture says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and was led of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 16, it's actually good for you that I go away. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to somebody? Hey, good news, everybody. I'm going to leave you. Now, if we could just get Jesus into the room... That's what we would be after. But Jesus says it's actually better if I leave the room because when I leave, I'm going to send one in my place, the Holy Spirit. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he's in a room with his disciples and the scripture says that he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Right before Jesus ascends up into heaven, he gives the disciples this amazing mission, which we are a part of. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So he gives them this purpose, this mission, that they need to, to leave where they live to go to preach the good news of Jesus all around the world. Every place that they know exists, somebody there needs to be speaking about Jesus. He gives them this amazing mission, but he says to them, but I want you to wait. Don't go. Here's the mission. You have the message. You have everything you need, but don't go. Wait here, and not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, that's exactly what happens. 
The disciples are gathered together along with those who have seen Jesus raised from the dead and they're celebrating Pentecost, a Jewish holiday. And uh, the scripture says that as they're in this room, uh, there's this loud rushing wind that comes through, this amazing noise that comes through. It was so noisy, in fact, that people from all over that area heard it and then came to see what happened. And after that rushing wind came through, the sound of the rushing wind came through, the Bible says, and what I can't really wrap my mind around, I don't understand it, but tongues of fire actually come down from the heavens and land on the disciples. And then they begin to speak in what the Scripture calls tongues, this, this language that you and I really don't understand, except for all those people who had gathered because of the loud noise, they can hear it in their own language. You've got people in Jerusalem at this moment uh, celebrating this holiday from all over the world and they all have their separate languages and yet as the disciples are speaking in what the scripture calls tongues, all of them understand in their own native language and they're like, what is going on? These aren't people who know a lot of foreign languages. What is happening? And Peter stands up and he preaches the first message of Jesus. 2,000 people right there say, I want that. I believe that. And the church begins. And it was on. And the Spirit's fingerprints are all over the beginning of of the church and throughout the rest of the Scripture. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, that he wants us to have fellowship with the Spirit. That word fellowship, it, it means communion. It means an active, dynamic relationship, a back and forth relationship with a person. That's what it means to fellowship. If you and I were going to fellowship, we would have to be together. There would be a back and forth. We would talk. We would communicate. We would do things. And that's what Paul wants for the church. He wants fellowship with the Spirit. Now, I don't know what spiritual background you are from, but the spiritual background that I'm from, and I think most of us today, the Holy Spirit is something that is, we believe is true, but honestly, He's not really something that's real. Like, we believe that's true. It's in the Bible. We believe the Bible. That's kind of, you know, what we do. So, yes, does the Holy Spirit exist? Absolutely. Does he do some stuff that the Bible says he does? Yeah, definitely. Is he real in my life? Meaning, do I see any evidence of his work in my life? I think most of us, if we were going to be honest this morning, but we're in church and so we can't really be honest. But if we were going to be honest, we have to say, no, he's something I believe, but not something that I experience. It's a theological fact. But Paul wants more than that for us. A couple of years ago, I was... um my ministry was really kind of just traveling around and going to different places and preaching and and, and that was my job and and, I began to really be discontent because the same thing would happen after every every time that I finished preaching. Um, People would come up and they would say, hey, that was really great. Which is nice. I mean, if I'm going to hear that was really great or that was really awful, I'd rather hear that was really great. Uh, But that was all anybody would say. It was like, hey, I was really blessed by that. And again, I'd rather be a blessing than a curse for sure. I hope you don't leave on Sunday morning and go, I feel totally cursed because that man got up there and talked. You know, I hope that doesn't happen. But they would say, hey, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, That was Way to go. You can string some sentences together. That's amazing. 
But that was it. Uh, then I would go back to the scripture, and when people preached about Jesus in the scripture, like stuff happened. You know, like people said, I want to believe that. I mean, you don't see people coming up to Peter going, hey, Peter, man, out of all the people I have to listen to at church, you are my favorite. I don't like those other four guys. I don't like John. I don't, I don't like his style. I don't really connect with him. But you, Peter, I appreciate that. So blessed by that. No, when Peter shows up to preach place, like people you fall on their face and are filled with the Holy Spirit and our, our lives are radically changed forever. But none of, none of that stuff was happening in my ministry after I got finished. And uh, it really bothered me. And so I just started looking at the scripture for months saying, what's the difference? What did these guys have? What did these people have that I don't have? Because the scripture says that God has given me everything that I need for life and godliness. And so I feel like if there's a spiritual tool bag, I got all the stuff in my tool bag because God says I do. And yet I'm not experiencing, I'm not seeing anything really that's happening in the scripture in my own personal life. What is the difference? And so I'm searching the scripture and the thing that I see in the scripture that I don't see in me is these guys were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in everything that they're doing and he's just in my doctrinal statement. He's just another thing in a long list of things that I believe about the scripture. But honestly, I was waking up in the morning thinking about Jesus, praying to Jesus. Absolutely. But there was no spirit involvement in my life. And so what I did, I'm kind of a remedial person, is I just began to write a list on a piece of paper of all the things that I saw in the scripture that the Holy Spirit did for people and did among the church. And I just wrote it all down. And I would go out to this little garden yard thing, which I've told you about. And I would hold it in my hands and I would walk in a circle and I would pray out loud, God, you, you said this is true. This is true. I just pulled it out of your word. If it's true on this piece of paper, I want it true in me. And I'm not going to leave you alone until you make it happen. Because I just live by this philosophy again because I'm not very smart. If God has it available to me, then I want to know it. Now, I don't want a bunch of other stuff that God doesn't have for me, but everything he brings to the table for me, I want it. And so I just walk in a little circle with my list and say, you did it for Peter, do it for me. You did it for John, do it for me. You did it for Philip, do it for me. You did it for Paul, do it for me. You did it for Philip, uh, Stephen, do it for me. You did it for Timothy, do it for me. You did it for Titus, do it for me. And I would read about the Spirit of God from the Scripture and from other people. I would ask people who I, whose lives I looked at and their lives were different than mine. I would say, tell me, tell me. What don't I know? I want to know. And I remember I was driving across town. I don't know about uh, you, but um, when I'm in the car by myself, like um, that's sacred space sometimes. You know, sometimes it's just sports radio, but other times it's just, it's sacred space. And, and so I'll pop in a CD of songs that similar to what we sing here at church on Sunday morning. And it's like my heart explodes because my heart can't really explode here on Sunday morning because I would scare a lot of you. And so I got to tone that stuff down when I'm around you for your good. And so, but in the car, it's go time because there's nobody there. I mean, people will look over and think I'm a crazy man driving my car, but that's okay. I don't ever have to run into them ever again, you know. And so, uh, so sometimes that happens in my car. It's just the fullness of me, which you can imagine what that would be like. 
behind closed doors. And so, um, so I'm driving across town, and I'm in one of those sacred spaces in my car. I'm just singing, and I'm praying, and my heart is just full on. And I've been carrying this, this hunger and thirst for the Spirit of God in me for a while now, for months. And it was like something broke in me. A wall of unbelief and inexperience and hardness of heart that I had built up my whole life felt like it came down as I'm driving across town in my vehicle. I don't have words to describe what happened. I don't know. I, don't, I can't take you to a, a thing in the Scripture and say this is exactly what I experienced. All I know is that in that moment, I knew what Paul was talking about when he wanted fellowship of the Holy Spirit for the Corinthians. And he wants that same fellowship for us. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Let's unpack it a little bit this morning. He has also sealed us and given us the Spirit as a down payment in our hearts. Now, sealed in the first century, it was a word that was all about ownership. So you can imagine a seal on a letter that this letter has come from this person or, you know, they would put a seal on something to say this is owned by the Roman Empire or this is owned by this family. The word seal is all about ownership in the first culture. So this connection to the Holy Spirit, it reminds us that our life is not our own. I want you to turn uh, to Ephesians chapter 1. There's a parallel passage uh, to this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 because Paul writes almost the exact same words. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. It says, In Him, that's Christ, we were also made His inheritance... Oh, that's verse 11. Excuse me. Verse 13. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in Him when you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So Ephesians says something similar, that when we believed in Jesus, remember, because you don't just become a Christian because you wake up one morning and all of a sudden you're a Christian. You don't become a, a Christian because your parents were Christian. You don't become a Christian because you, were, you, you came to church a few times or you tried to be good or tried to be more good than you were bad or tried to be more religious than you had last month. You become a Christian by believing in Jesus. And when you believe in Jesus, you and I are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Meaning God's stamp of ownership, Jesus' stamp of ownership gets on us through the Holy Spirit. And when we have fellowship with Him, we are consistently reminded that our lives are not our own. We were bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6 says. And we see this played out in a couple of different ways. First, um, the Spirit will give us direction. You know that your life is not your own when someone else is directing it. And the Spirit, that fellowship of the Spirit gives us direction. We see it in Jesus. The Scripture says that after Jesus was baptized, He's anointed by the Spirit of God in the form of a dove. You remember, He comes up out of the baptism water and the Scripture says that the Holy Spirit led Him out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. So even Jesus, the Son of God, is led, gets direction from the Spirit of God. Peter or excuse me, Paul, uh, in Acts chapter 16, 
He's trying to go to some different places to preach the gospel. And the scripture actually says the spirit of Jesus or the spirit of the Holy Spirit uh, prevents him from going to these places. And then another door is opened up to him through a dream. Philip, the evangelist in in the book of Acts, uh, the the spirit leads him to this road uh, to to just wait. But it wasn't a common road. It It was an old road. They had built a new road. They had built a new highway. But the spirit tells him to go and stand at the old place. So you can imagine they built a freeway, hypothetically speaking, and he's still using the old farm road. The Spirit tells him to go to that old farm road and he's just waiting there and all of a sudden this Ethiopian eunuch comes by and Philip leads him to Jesus. The Spirit directed him. That seal, that stamp of ownership that comes on us through the Spirit reminds us that our life is not our own and we see it when the Spirit directs us. I remember... A few months ago, I, I had to run some errands. I had to pick up something, and it was just something very specific that I needed, and I could go and get it at a couple of different places. And, and so I was doing the same thing that you were doing, essentially asking, where can I get it the cheapest and the quickest? And I'm going to balance those two things, and that's where I'm going to get this thing. And so I was listing my options. And, and as I'm thinking through my options of where I'm going to go, I just, just feel really clearly I should go to this one specific place. Now, I didn't know if it was going to be the cheapest, and it sure wasn't the, the quickest, but it just, just felt it. It was weird. You know, I don't really, I'm not the kind of person that's like, Jesus, where should I eat today? Okay, I'm going to eat there. Maybe you're like that, and maybe that's a good thing, but that's not really how I roll. And so this very specific, you know, impression to go to this one store, to buy something that is not spiritual. It wasn't like I was going to buy a Bible or something. You know, I, it was very non-spiritual. I just felt very strongly, and so I'm like, okay, maybe God has something there for me, and and so I roll into the store and I go to look at the, the thing that I came to, to pick out. And, and I'm reading and doing all those things. And all of a sudden somebody says my name over my shoulder. And I turn around and it's, a, it's an old friend that I have not connected with in a long, long time. And I'm like, hey, and we connect and for just a second. And I say, hey, let me take you to lunch. And oh, by the way, we planted a church. I think you should be there on Sunday. And he, and he was. The Spirit directs us. He directs us because we don't own our own lives. So what that means is my way is not the way anymore. My will is not the will. His will is my will. His way is your way. Because we have the seal of ownership. We see that when He directs us. We also see that when He convicts us of sin. Nobody likes to talk about being convicted of sin, but it's one of the things that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come to do. In John chapter 16, he tells the disciples that the Holy Spirit will convict us of righteousness. When you and I are not living righteously, living out the life of Christ in us, the Holy Spirit will come to convict us of that sin. He will come and he will remind us that the way we're currently acting is not the way a follower of Jesus acts. Because we have that seal of ownership on us through the Holy Spirit, it means we can't just do whatever we want anymore. There may have been a day in your life where you could do whatever you want and you could get away with it and you didn't feel bad about it. But when you put faith in Jesus, your life is no longer your own. You get sealed with the Holy Spirit, a stamp of ownership on you. And now it matters how you live. And so he will come and convict us of sin. I've told you before, if I ever sin against you, it's going to be with my mouth. I don't know what my problem is. I apologize. I 
heartily amen the scripture when it says the tongue is set on fire by hell itself. Uh, you know, I just can't control it. I, I just need to walk around with some kind of staple, you know, in my mouth because I'm always offending. And here's the way it always comes out is I'll be at lunch with somebody or in a group setting and we'll be laughing and joking. And I'm always the guy who takes it too far. You know, just always. That's me. I don't know why. I just am that guy. We're all joking. We're giving somebody a hard time. And then I make it like really, really personal. And, and then nobody laughs and I feel bad. Right? So I'm always doing that kind of thing. Or I'll just say things that I don't need to say. You know, I just, I don't know why I said it. It just came out of my mouth. And so I will leave that lunch or that, you know, group setting. And then an hour later, I'll start feeling that conviction. And for me, conviction feels just unsettled. Like when you have peace and suddenly that peace is taken away, it just feels like things are out of order. That's what conviction feels like to me. And so I have to pick up my phone. It's the worst, man. It is the worst. Don't sin against anybody with your mouth because this is the worst part ever. Hey, it's me, Curtis. I said this, fill in the blank. I'm a moron. I don't know what my problem is. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. Uh, will you forgive me? I, there are people in this room, like, they're like, yeah, I know what that phone call is like because I've had to call them with that phone call. But that's the Holy Spirit. He comes to convict us of sin. Because our life is not our own. We have a stamp, a seal of ownership on us. The seal was... Um, Usually in the first century, it was the name of whoever owned that thing. Taking a lesson from my daughter here. Whenever you owned something and you wanted everyone to know you owned it, you put your seal on it. And so whenever anyone saw that thing, they know. I, they saw. They said to themselves, "I know who, whose that is." And Scripture says that your life is not your own anymore. That's what you did when you decided to follow Jesus. Yeah, you and I may have thought it was just about going to heaven. We said that the last few weeks, but it's more than that. You actually handed your life over to somebody, and through the Spirit of God, you got sealed, stamped. And so, now you have to evaluate everything you do with that seal. Does this seal belong in this place? Does this seal make sense with the things that I'm currently watching on television? Does this seal make sense with the people that I have chosen to surround myself? Does, does this seal make sense with the things that I choose to do with my free time, does this seal that is on me, this stamp of ownership, does it make sense with the way that I'm living my life? Because honestly, there's some places that this seal should never go. There's some things that this seal should never see coming back at you across the computer screen. There's some things that this seal shouldn't be around when those things come out of your mouth towards your wife and your kids. Your life is not your own. You bear the name of another who owns you and who owns me. That's why Paul consistently calls himself the bondservant of Jesus Christ. You've been sealed. You've been stamped. And so we evaluate everything through that. And the more you 
have that fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the more in tune you're going to be with this seal. And you're going to know this is not something that someone who follows Jesus does. Or I don't get to decide what I want to do in this moment. What do you want me to do? Because I've been sealed. I'm owned through the Spirit of God. And then look at the second part. He has also sealed us and given us the Spirit as a down payment in our hearts. A down payment means a deposit, a guarantee. I want you to flip over back to Ephesians chapter 1. Again, to that parallel passage. Another way to say it, and your Bible may translate it this way, the first installment. I love that translation. The first installment of what? The deposit, the down payment of what? Ephesians chapter 1 helps us a little bit. Verse 14, He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. So the Holy Spirit is the down payment towards our inheritance. What's our inheritance? Our inheritance, the Scripture is always talking about inheritance. In fact, it's a big theme in the Old Testament that people of Israel, they inherited this land that God had promised them. That's why we call it the promised land. That was their inheritance. Well, our inheritance uh, in Christ is all the benefits of our salvation. See, the gospel is, is that you and I, we were born in sin and we lived out that sin. Meaning you inherited sin from your parents. You're going to pass it on down to your children if you have children. We inherited that sin, but we also willingly lived it out. We willingly rebelled against God. Even though He had only acted good towards us and right towards us and righteous towards us, we rebelled against Him. And God, He he can't be near sin because that's how holy He is. He can't just bring us in a big hug, Merry Christmas, don't worry about it. Something has to be done about our sin. And that's the gospel that God sent His one and only Son. Jesus, the Son of God, took on human flesh. The Messiah, the Savior of Israel. He lived a righteous life. So when you and I, we made all those poor decisions. And if you want, you can kind of replay all those poor decisions right now. That'll make you feel good. When you and I made those poor decisions, Jesus made righteous decisions. When we rebelled against God, He obeyed God. At 33 years old, He laid His life down on the cross. No one took it from Him, Jesus said, because no one can take the life of the Son of God. He willingly laid it down. He died painful, excruciating death on the cross so that our sin could be forgiven in His sacrifice. Three days later, God raises Jesus from the dead. He appears to many witnesses. He ascends up into heaven and one day He will return. And the Scripture says when we believe in Him, we become Christians. We become followers of Jesus. We get moved from death to life. That's the gospel And when you and I believed in Jesus, we were given the Holy Spirit as a down payment of all the amazing things that are going to happen in the future. But the Holy Spirit is our connection to all those things. So I want to read you a list of some things that are true about you in Christ. Because when you give your life to Christ, you get put in Christ. So when God sees you, He sees more than you. He sees Jesus in you, which is great news for us. And these are the things that are true about you today. 
Because you are in Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ, you're not a Christian, then these things are not true about you. But if you are, you've given your faith to Jesus, these things are true about you. Uh, You have abundant life in John chapter 10. You're clean in Christ, John chapter 15, verse 3. You have comfort in Christ, Isaiah chapter 51. You're never alone in Christ, John chapter 15. You're delivered in Christ, 2 Timothy 4. You're sons and daughters of God, 1 John chapter 3. You're fruitful in Christ, John 15. You're given direction in Christ, Isaiah 42. You have hope in Christ, Hebrews chapter 6. You have joy in Christ, Isaiah chapter 35. You're free in Christ, Romans chapter 8. You have peace in Christ, John chapter 14. You're powerful in Christ, John chapter 14. You have rest for your soul in Christ, Hebrews chapter 4. You're restored in Christ, 1 John chapter 1. You're healed in Christ, Hosea chapter 6. You're strong in Christ, Philippians chapter 4. You have understanding in Christ, Psalm 119. You have victory in Christ, 1 John 5. You're wise in Christ, James chapter 1. And you are righteous in Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All those things are true about you in this moment because you're in Christ. Now you may think, no, those things are not true about me. I know me, and I know a lot of that stuff on the list is not true about me in this moment. I mean, clean. I'm clean in Christ. When was the last time you felt clean? This pure righteous but it says that you are in Christ because you're not just in you and what you're able to do you're in Christ and Christ is clean so you're clean yeah by yourself you may not be righteous in fact you're not righteous but in Christ Christ is righteous so you're righteous you may not be able to to gather up for yourself abundant life based on your work and effort and what you can attain for yourself. But you're in Christ, and Christ always has abundant life, so you have abundant life. These things are true about you, and the Holy Spirit is the connection to all those things. And so if today you say, I don't feel or I'm not experiencing any of those things, it's not because they're not true. It's because there may not be the kind of fellowship with the Holy Spirit that there should be. And the more you and I get that relationship with the Spirit of God, the more the things that are true about us in eternity will begin to be true about us in our lives. He's our connection. So you've been sealed stamp of ownership on you. The Holy Spirit's been given to you as a down payment, the first installment of all the things that are true about you in Christ. So the question you have to answer this morning is, do you have fellowship with the Holy Spirit? I mean, is that how you would characterize the Holy Spirit? Someone that you have a relationship with? Or is it just something that you believe is true among the many things you believe are true? Because here's the reality this morning. God has given you hopefully a vision for your life. How your life is going to count for what matters most. And you cannot be that person if you don't have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. 
You can't be the kind of father that God wants you to be, the kind of father that accurately represents the kind of father he is to you. You can't be that kind of father, men, if you don't have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Ladies, you can't be the kind of wife, the kind of mom that God wants you to be, that represents that kind of nurturing, warm heart, loving heart that God has for us. You can't be that to your husband and your kids if you're not connected with fellowship in the Holy Spirit. You can't be the light of the world in your workplace, on your street. Your prayers won't have the kind of power that actually bring change when you pray. I mean, isn't that what we're all after? That when we pray for somebody, it would actually come to pass? It does not happen if you don't have fellowship with the Holy Spirit of God. So do you have that fellowship? And all we want today, and all we're asking God for today, is just that what we already believe, we would experience. We're not even asking God for something new, some new profound thing that no one's ever heard of. All we're asking God today for is that, God, I believe this because it's in your word. Now I want to experience this because it's in your word. So what do we do? Is there some magical prayer that you can pray and all of a sudden that fellowship will come? I don't know. I don't think so. But I would just encourage us this morning, if you examine your life and you go, you know, I've got connection to religion and I've got a connection to a lot of beliefs, but I'm not sure I have a day-to-day functional connection to the Holy Spirit of God. What should I do? Just lean in. You know, when a, someone's holding a baby that's not theirs, and mommy and daddy walk by, what's that baby do? That baby leans towards mommy and daddy. Just leans in. It's too small to jump, too small to get down and walk over. Just leans. And that may be all you need to do today is just lean in. Do what I did. Just find out who the Holy Spirit is from the Word of God. Write it down on a piece of paper, fold it up and put it in your pocket. And whenever you think about it, pull it out and say, God, this is true. I want to know this is true and not just believe this is true. And I'm not letting go until you give it to me. Just lean in. Leaning in for you may be finding somebody in your life that you know that seems to have more of a relationship with the Holy Spirit, buying them lunch and say, tell me about it. Tell me about him. Tell me about what that relationship is like. What are you doing that I'm not doing? Lean in. Because you can't be the person that God wants you to be without that fellowship, without that connection. He sealed you. And he is the first installment of all that's to come. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would stir up some holy discontent in us this morning. I pray that we would see, we would see what's in your word and then we would see what's in our life. And I pray that if they're not matching up, I pray that that would bother us. 
I pray I wouldn't rush past that. It's just another Sunday thing that I should do, and but I'm not doing, and hopefully I'll get it one day. I pray it would bother me to the fact that I would seek out what's in your word. And I would have the guts and the boldness to just ask you to do it for us the way you've done it for others. Holy Spirit, tear any walls down that we have built up. Pray that we would be open to you. And just a spirit of prayer. If you're not in Christ, you don't have the Spirit of God. And maybe your first act today is to just lean in to Jesus. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to come and to spotlight Jesus, to open our hearts to what Jesus has done. If you're here and you are ready to give your faith to Jesus, to become a Christian, maybe you thought you've already become a Christian because you've come to church a bunch or you're trying to get your life straight. No, you've got to give your faith to him. And if you've never given your faith to Jesus and you are ready to do that today, then you just pray this with me this morning. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's son. I believe that you are the savior. I believe that you are perfect when I am not. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you have been raised from the dead. And I believe that you are available and ready for me this morning. So I give you my faith and my life. Scripture says that if you confess those words to God, then you have been saved this morning. And so our prayer ministry team is going to come forward now so if those guys would come. We're going to pray together. And if you're giving your life to Jesus today, then you just come forward immediately and say, I, I'm giving my life to Jesus today. They'll know what you're talking about. They'll pray with you. They'll celebrate with you. If you're sick, and I know many people are, you've got somebody in the hospital you want to lean in for today and you want to pray for, then these guys are here for that. If you're just doing battle in your own personal soul and you just feel heavy and you want somebody to come alongside of you and pray, then that's what they're here for. And then also, if you just want more of what God has for you, if you read the scripture and you go, that's not my experience and I desperately want it to be, and man, you make a beeline, and, you, and these guys are going to pray with you. You can do that at your seat. You can come forward and kneel down here. We'll make this an old-fashioned altar if you want to today. Father, help us to pray, and I pray that you would hear our prayers, and I pray that you would answer them according to your will in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would respond to our faith today. In Jesus' name.